Well, you can turn to John 12. That's where it will be. Beginning in verse 44. John chapter 12, 44 to 50. Let's pray. Father, it is indeed a privilege that we have to open Your Word and to know that we are hearing from You. And we're not simply hearing the words of ancient scribes or old men in a cave, but that the God who is has spoken and has made His intentions and His truth clear. In light of that, O Father, give us hungry ears and minds. Awaken us to Your glory. Let these eyes see You as You are. Let these minds think and contemplate You. God, don't let us waste this minute. Don't let the the, the little children or the adults in this room, don't let us flitter away this precious time for which we are accountable before You. But give us ears to hear, hearts to respond, minds to engage. For the sake of Christ we pray. Amen. When you know that what you are about to say is the last word that someone will ever hear from you, that gives those words added weight. Especially if they have to do with something really important. These words in John 12 are the last words Jesus will speak publicly to Jerusalem before His death. From here on, He's going to be in private with His disciples, preparing them for what's coming. This is the last public declaration. And and so He's standing there, surrounded by His own countrymen who are in the very process of rejecting Him. And so He pleads with them this one final time to hear and believe the message about who He truly is. And that's beginning in verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in Me believes not in Me, but in Him who sent Me. And whoever sees Me sees Him who sent Me. I've come into this world as light, so that whoever believes in Me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears My words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life, What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. With these words, Jesus then seals the fate of every soul in Jerusalem that day. Those who believe Him, who repent and believe the gospel message about Him, they will be saved. They'll be brought into the light. While those who reject Him and turn and go their own way, will be lost in the darkness. It is for every soul a moment of decision. As it is for us, as we stand here on this last weekend of the year, preparing to enter into the next. You and I 
also have decisions to make. What will you prioritize this coming year? What's really going to matter to you day by day? And where does Jesus fit in to the plans that you've made and the life that you're going to live in 2022? And so let's consider that here from this text. As Jesus instructs them, let us hear what He is saying to us. And to do that, we need to back up just a little bit and hear again what it is Jesus is proclaiming here. And first of all, what I want you to see is that He's telling us that to know God, to know who He truly is, you must look to Christ. Verse 44, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in Me, believes not in Me, but in Him who sent Me. Whoever sees Me, sees Him who sent Me. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in Me may not remain in dark. Now, this is one of those rare places where we, we read that Jesus cried out. Right? He lifted His voice and yelled. Why? Right? So that He'd be heard. Right? Because this was important. There's a passion in His voice as He cries out. He's, he's, he's pleading with them to hear Him. Because He knows their souls are in jeopardy. Without Him, they will be lost. But they don't see it. They're blind to it as we saw last week. And so, again, He tells them. Now, thinking about what He cries out here, how would you summarize what Jesus declares here in verses 44 and 45? I think that I would summarize this pretty much by saying what Jesus will tell Philip a little later in John 14, verse 9. Do you remember? He's going to say to Philip, Whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. Now, think about that. These are Jews. These people He is talking about in Jerusalem and to whom He is crying out. And they're people by and large who want to know God. But He wants them to understand, if you're going to know God, you must look to me. Isn't that what he says? That he and the that he so perfectly represents the Father that to see one of them is to see the other? Notice how he emphasizes this. First in verse 44, he says, To believe me is to believe him. Verse 45, to see me is to see him. Verse 49 and 50, to hear me is to hear him so that the authority behind my words is his authority. And so Jesus perfectly represents the Father to us so that when we see him, we are indeed seeing God. Now, now how can that be? Well, again, Just like we saw last week, you have to think in terms of the Trinity or you simply will not get this. You have to remember that God is one God who exists eternally as three co-equal persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father, according to Scripture, is God. The Son, according to Scripture, is God. And the Holy Spirit, whom we'll meet in John 14, He also is God. But they are not three gods. This is not a matter of three uh, separate individuals, but one God who exists eternally as three persons. 
Now, if that makes your head spin, join the club. Our puny little human minds cannot take all, take in all that God is with a glance. But here's where knowing this, as Scripture teaches, helps us to understand that these three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are one in such a way that to have dealings with any one is to encounter all three. Because the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are always at work in and through one another. That there's never a disjointedness. There's never a disagreement. There's, there's never a squabble because the one God is always in agreement with Himself. And thus Christ can say, whoever believes me, oh, oh, it's not just me. It's always the Father with me. And whoever sees me, oh, He's not just seeing me. It's always the Father working through me. And so to believe Christ is to believe God. And likewise, to disbelieve Christ is to disbelieve God. 1 John 2.23 No one who denies the Son has the Father. You reject Jesus. You're not just rejecting Jesus. You're rejecting God Himself. And whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And then building on that, he goes on to say in verse 45, And whoever sees me sees Him who sent me. So closely connected are the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that each perfectly represents the other. To gaze upon the Son is to see the Father's glory. To gain a sight of Christ is to see who the Father is. And this word, see, is very interesting. It's the word theoreo in Greek. Theoreo is where we get our word to theorize. And so this is not just a glance, this is not just a look, but this is a, a, a contemplation. Uh, theoreo means to think about, to, to contemplate. And so it's not just saying when you see with your naked eye some physical form, you know, some icon, some statue, but it, he means when we see who Jesus is. When we think about Him and contemplate Him as He's revealed in Scripture. When we hear the things He says and watch the things that He does in Scripture. When we do that, we are seeing who God is. You ever wonder what's God like? He's exactly like Jesus. <laughs> when you look upon Christ, you are seeing the nature and the character and the person of God. And so, so when we look upon the Son, we're not seeing one kind of God in the Son and another kind of God in the, the, the Spirit and another kind of God in the Father. I mean, that's all kind of ancient heresy built into that. When we see any, we are seeing all three. For He is one God in His majesty, deity, glory, and beauty, and yet three persons. Gregory of Nazianzus, and I'm sure that's one of your favorites. You're probably reading him this morning. Gregory of Nazianzus was one of those early church fathers, and he said this very well. He said, thinking about considering who God is in His, in his three-in-oneness, in His beautiful trinity, he says, No sooner do I conceive of the one than I'm illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I'm carried back to the One. 
When I think of any one of the three, I think of Him as the whole God and my eyes are filled and and the greater part of what I'm thinking about escapes me. When I contemplate the three together, I see but one torch and cannot divide or measure out His undivided light. Or we can say it more simply as John does in verse 46. And whoever sees me sees Him who sent me. We said this last week. This means that Jesus Himself is the brightness of the Father's glory. Again, think about this. We cannot see God the Father in His naked glory. You've never seen God in His naked glory. But Jesus is the light that reveals that glory to us. If you want to see what God is like, you must look in faith to God the Son because He is the Father's glory. Church, this is why He came. This is why He was sent. That that we might see God in Him and worship and be saved. That we might believe Him by faith and, and by that faith be pulled out of this darkness into His marvelous light. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, "...that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ." Because it's Jesus who gives this to us. It's Jesus who brings us this light. You remember what He said back in John 8 verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the purpose of Christ's coming. He is the light shining bright that we might see and know God. It's the knowledge of Him that brings us into the very knowledge of God. And and isn't that the promise that we've celebrated as part of our celebration at Christmas that the prophet Isaiah proclaimed so long ago? Isaiah 9-2, The people who walked in darkness, hey, that's us, have seen a great light, that's Christ. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. That light is Christ. He he, he comes and illumines our minds and eyes so that we might in fact see God. And when we gaze upon that light, when we think about that light, when we look into the face of Jesus by faith, we know God. And only in Christ do we truly know God. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, friend, listen, Jesus wants you to know the Father through Him. And it is only through Him that you can know the Father. And that brings us into this second thing to consider this morning. And that is to realize that Christ's Word... That that light that shines in the darkness, Christ's Word, brings salvation to those who receive it, but it also brings judgment to those who refuse it. Verse 47 and 48. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge... The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. So here's the question. Where do we encounter Christ today? Where do we see Christ 
in order to see God today? Where do we encounter this light that not only shows us our sin, but reveals to us the living one that we might know and fellowship with Him? Where does that happen? The answer is exactly that. In His Word. It is the gospel word that gives us a sight of Christ. Uh, Romans 10 verse 17, Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And, And it is through His word, not only do we see Christ initially in salvation, it is through His word that we continue to meet with Christ and grow deeper in the knowledge and intimacy of God through Christ. And so I, I want to challenge you to do something in this coming year. I want to challenge you to make it your goal to know Christ better this year than you ever have. And to know God through knowing Him. I want to encourage you to make it your goal to encounter Christ regularly by engaging Him in His Word because it is here that He shows Himself to us. And I know it's an old-fashioned idea and, 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 and out of fashion for many people, but it is one I hold to very, very firmly. Put yourself in His Word daily to know Christ. Make this your priority. Organize your life, however you need to do this, to, to meet Him daily. To, to read what He says and, and let His voice speak truth to your soul. To take what He says and and let it chase the darkness out of your life day by day, moment by moment, as He settles His grace more deeply and deeply into your bones. For friend, that is not the work of a single day. It's not the work of an occasional devotional here and there. But but just like a child must grow daily from a baby into adulthood uh, by, by regular feeding and resting, so also we must grow daily in Christ through the regular feeding and resting on those things that He gives us so freely that are necessary for our souls. Choosing to spend time with Him in His Word and prayer. And don't be legalistic about it. Um, You know, if if you blow it one day, pick it up the next. Or the next after that. And then the the next after that. And and don't feel, uh, don't give up because you don't feel yourself growing. Do you feel the benefit of every meal you eat? You know, you have a hot dog and say, Woo, I just felt some brain cells come to life. Or death, whichever would be the case there. No, no matter what the meal, I mean, you, you, that, that daily growth is a slow process. But, but here's the important thing. It must be a daily process of taking in and processing and, and, and in this case, growing nearer and nearer and nearer to Him. So, have a plan. Do you have a plan for the regular reading of God's Word? What is your plan? If you don't have a plan, it's probably not going to happen. You plan those things that are very important to you. Friend, nothing could be more important to you than this. And let's be honest, for some of you, this could be quite easy for some of you. 
You know, you just need to make time in your schedule. You're already using your time for something else. You may have to watch less Netflix. You may have to, 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 to do less this or that or, you know, things that you, that you currently give yourself to that you know really aren't that vital to you and you just need to make better use of your time. And so set aside these lesser things to take up the most important things. Set a time. Keep that time to the very best of your ability as an, as an appointment with the Lord. For others of you, parents of small children, some of you perhaps working two jobs or, or facing a, a personal or life crisis right now, yeah, this is going to take more effort. You will probably have to be creative. But, but listen, the God who loves you and wants to spend time with you will help you if you ask Him. But you need to know Christ better now than you ever have. And, and His Word is key. But not only that, notice as Jesus teaches us here that there are indeed consequences if we will not receive His Word. Listen again to what He says, verse 47 and 48. If anyone hears My Word and does not keep... hears My words, plural, and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come into the world uh, to, to judge it, but to save the world. The one who rejects Me and does not receive My words has a judge... The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. This word that Jesus gives us both saves and judges. Notice some things here. Every one of them important. First, that Christ's goal in His first coming, and that's what He's talking about here, Christ's goal in His first coming is love. It's salvation, not judgment. Did you hear what He said? He came to save this world, not judge it. Now that's just a summary of something he said earlier. Maybe you remember beginning with that famous verse, John 3.16. He tells us that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Then he continued, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn, or it's the same word, judge the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned, judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, but people loved darkness more than light because their words, their works were evil. You see, it's exactly the same themes there. The goal of Jesus' mission in His first coming is salvation, not judgment. So, so, so don't imagine Jesus standing there, wagging His finger in your face, saying, you should read my word more. Shame on you for not listening to me better. Is that the picture you have of Christ? That's not who He is. No, instead, you should see Him, arms open wide, holding the door open for you. Bidding you come and fellowship with Him and the Father together with the Holy Spirit. Telling you there are so many things He longs to show you and give to you if you will just come and listen. But at the same time, warning that if you refuse to do so, it will be to your loss. For these words He speaks... Yes, they are indeed life to those who receive them, but then they become death to those who refuse them. 
I mean, think of it as a lifeline that He is throwing to you in the middle of a raging flood, sweeping you downstream. And sort of take hold of what He so freely gives will mean life itself, but to refuse leaves you to be swept to judgment. And so second, the words Christ speak here, they come to us as a double-edged sword. There's a picture of Christ in Revelation 1, perhaps you remember it, where it says that He has a sharp, double-edged sword coming out of His mouth. And it's an odd picture, but remember in Revelation, the Apostle John is giving us word pictures, images with deeper meanings. And so what does John mean by this picture of Christ with a sharp, two-edged sword? Well, he's picturing there exactly what he's picturing here, that this word of Christ is sharp and powerful, able to plunge in and separate us from our sin, to, 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 to cut away the, 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 the fat and gristle of sin that holds us and free us for salvation by faith. The Word is sharp for salvation. And yet, that same Word has another edge. And that other edge falls upon those who reject it and cuts them to pieces, bringing them to condemnation. And you understand that's the nature of truth. Reject the truth and you're left with the lie. Run from the light and you plunge yourself into darkness. And so third, he tells us that the word he sent to save us from sin becomes the judge that condemns you in your sin. Because this word is is God's word. It's it's full of, of truth and, by the way, only truth. The Old Baptist Confession says, truth without any mixture of error. To reject this word is to embrace the lie. But listen, just because you reject His word, don't think that puts an end to the matter. Because this word doesn't just go off in the corner and cry and fade away because you've rejected it. This word stands forever strong and clear. It doesn't return void, the Scripture says. Forever it continues to stand and to testify now against you because you've rejected it. And figuratively speaking, it will stand on judgment day and say to you, you were given my truth, but you refused it. You were told what you must believe and do, but you would not. You were warned what was coming, but you did not heed my warning. And then Christ Himself, according to Scripture, the one who is the Word made flesh, the very one that you have rejected in rejecting this Word, will say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, into the eternal judgment prepared for the devil and his angels. Now there is a judgment for those who refuse to hear and keep Christ's saving Word. By the way, hear and keep. Notice that, dear Christians, this is what we must do. It's not a matter of hearing only, it's hearing and keeping. It's taking hold of that which is life. Just as you would take hold of a lifeline, you take hold of this Word and you keep clinging to it. Because this saving Word of Christ, again, has a double edge. Salvation for those who hear it and believe it, but judgment for those who refuse it and reject it. Which brings us then to the final thing this morning, and that is to see that Christ's Word, as God's Word, has authority to give life to those who believe it, to those who cling to it. Verse 49, 
For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Now, what is Jesus telling us? He's telling us that his word is indeed God's word. That that it is God's final word of authority with power to save all who believe it. That the words coming out of His mouth are indeed the very words of God that we must hear. But but notice He he says it in a way that, that some have found rather odd, perhaps even a little confusing. Back to verse 49, He says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, literally from within myself... But the Father who sent me has Himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Now, what do you think people find confusing there? Well, at least from my reading, they're they're bothered by this idea of Jesus saying, I'm not speaking on my own authority. Wait a minute. We thought you were God. How can you not be speaking of your own authority. And then he says, the Father commands me what to say and what to do. And and so they struggle a bit here with the fact that Jesus, as God the Son, is commanded by God the Father what to say and depends upon God the Father for the authority in saying it. But remember who Jesus is speaking to here. And remember what they are seeing as He speaks. Remember, we're talking about Jesus standing there in the temple area in His incarnation as a man. And He's talking to these Jews. And as He's talking to these Jews standing there in Jerusalem, what do they see when they look at Him? They see a man. (laughs) Because we must remember... Not only is Jesus the Son of God, God the Son in all of His divine glory, but through the Incarnation, He has taken to Himself a human nature and He is fully man. He doesn't doesn't just appear to be a man. He really is a man standing there, full of blood and bone and muscle and gristle, just like you, but without sin. I mean, that's the miracle of the Incarnation. He is at one time fully God and fully man. And we talked about that if you were here on Christmas Eve. And so Christ as a man wants to make clear so they understand that the word He has just spoken to them does indeed carry the full weight and authority of God Himself in all His majesty. And so He tells them, I'm not just some guy standing here making this up in my own head. I'm not just some man who stumbled into this place and I'm talking like I think I'm a big shot. I'm the one who is sent by the Father to perfectly represent Him in every way and to speak His message with His full, undiminished authority. Do you understand? There is not a hair's breadth difference between the Word of Christ and the Word of God the Father. There's no ranking of authority between what Christ says as a man standing there and what God says in His Word because it's the same Word. 
Everything Jesus says is exactly what God the Father wanted said. Remember again, there's no division between them. There's no disagreement or difference of opinion. Every word Christ says is exactly what God the Father said and thus carries the full weight and authority of God. Which means this, if you want to hear a word from God, friend, open this book and listen to everything that Christ says. Not just the red letters. Every single portion, every single part, because here the Word of God, the living Word who was with God and was God, speaks to make Himself known. Here is the authority and power to change your life, indeed, to give you life. If you will but hear and believe, and then by His grace, do what He says, this is where you meet with God. That's what Jesus is saying. But notice what else He says. And this is pretty important, so don't check out on me just yet. Verse 50. And I know that His commandment, right, what He's told me to say and and, and speak, I know that His commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus tells us that this Word... His Word spoken in obedience to the Father has the power of life. Now here's a question. What do you think about Jesus? Is He a generally truthful kind of guy? Does He tend to speak the truth to us? Well, The Bible says He indeed is the truth. Very truth incarnate. Okay. Does He know much? Well, again, the Bible says He is and always has been God, so He knows a thing or two. And so when we open the Scriptures and read a verse like this, where Jesus tells us that He knows something, boy, I want to listen to what He says. And look what He says He knows. Verse 50, And I know that this commandment that I'm speaking to you from the Father is eternal life. He knows it. Jesus isn't speculating here. He's not saying that He hopes that maybe this gospel word has the power to give life. He tells us that He is certain that it does, that He's confident in this, that there is no doubt in His mind, and oh, by the way, His mind is perfect, that this commandment to repent and believe the gospel, uh, to believe He is who He claims to be, that, that, that He is able to save all who trust in Him, He tells us this commandment is full to overflowing with the power of life itself, and not only just any life, but eternal life. Now, get your mind around this. He's not just saying that the gospel has the power to give life. He is saying that it is eternal life. That it's filled with it, throbbing with it, spilling over with it for all who will receive it. John 6, 63, The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and life. And so we're standing here listening to His Word, reading His Word, contemplating His Word. We are listening to the very Word power of God Himself set loose to take hold of us through His Word. That, that, which, that, that, that which is, you know, just, just imagine it's a nuclear reactor built into the pages and it's, it's just bombing you with not deadly radiation, but with living radiation just coming out as you hear and see and understand and contemplate this, this living Word. 
For indeed it is a living word. It's, it's a word that is filled with the very life and power of God Himself. Hebrews 4.12, you remember, the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intention of the heart so that it can make known to us who He is, who we are, and what we need. This is the Word that that, that gave life to the universe itself. Genesis 1 verse 3, And God said, Let there be light. And what happened? Oh, there was light. (laughs) It's the Word that gave life back to dead Lazarus. In John eleven forty three, and Jesus said, Lazarus, you come out of that grave. Lazarus came out of that grave. It's the word that gives life to you as you hear and believe and put your trust in what he says. So what are you going to do with this life-giving word? We're back to that place of decision. Are you going to be like these people? standing there near Jesus, who heard with their ears that day, who saw with their eyes, yet turned and walked away into the darkness. Are we be like Peter, John six sixty eight, who turned and said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. As we stand here at the brink of a new year, let me again call you to this place of decision. What will you do with Christ and His Word? Will you hear what He says and believe it? And I mean believe it in a way that it begins to shape all that you do and say. Will you, will you take Him at His Word, entrusting all to Him? For some of you, that will mean professing Him for the first time. Coming to Christ by faith. Believing His promise of salvation. Following through with believers' baptism and beginning to walk in His light every day as part of His church. For others, you do believe. You are professing Christ. You believe that you know Him, but you have not made Him the priority He needs to be. Will you set that priority? Where do you need to hear His Word this morning. How do you need His Word? Have you set a plan? I've already mentioned that. There are plans out on the the, um, foyer. There are some you can find online. There's some good devotions over here. And I don't... By the way, when I mention a devotion, I I mean in addition to Bible reading, never instead of. But do you have a plan? And if not, will you make one? I'll, I'll help you. Others here can help you. But how will you engage Christ in His Word throughout this coming year? And one last question. What has He been saying to you that you know you need to hear and believe and obey so that you can walk in His light? He's given you the light. He's shined it on the the ground there in front of you. He's shown you this is the way. Something in you resists. Something in you battles. Will you look at Him and say, Lord... Lord, right? Lord means you obey. (laughs) The one you obey. Lord, I come. I follow. I will do as you say. Help me. I'm weak. I've failed you so many times. I've promised and I've failed. But you know what, Lord? You're faithful and you grant what I need to follow through. God, help me. Help me walk with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, 
We thank you for this past year. There's a lot of a lot of complaining about this year and the year before it, and we understand that it's been a hard year, hard couple of years for many people. But Lord, we are reminded that it's been a hard couple of years where the grace and mercy of God has been undiminished. And we look ahead to the year that's coming, and we know that whatever comes, whatever happens, whether humanly speaking it's a good year or a bad year, it's a year that you reign in, that you show yourself in, that you strengthen us for, and that you walk with us in. Lord, and the way you do that is you lead us to hear you and obey you and be shaped by you. So Lord, we come, we confess our sins, we look to Christ who died and rose again in faith, And we say, speak, Lord. We, your servants, are listening. Help us to hear with a readiness to keep this word and to walk by its light. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.